I have a scouting take for you, okay? A deep, great scouting mind take for you. Miguel Sano and Kenny Vargas are very strong human beings. <laughs> a, that looked end of the bat from uh, Kenny Vargas last night. Still goes out. We're, we're going to line you up for some more scouting opportunities. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Forward. Yes, I'm in. They are strong men. And, and Kenny, you're right. I mean, that ball, you know, not where you tended to locate it, you know, a little bit down and away, but you know, to go down and get that ball and, and take it where he took it, that, that's, that's, that exhibits some serious power. That Sano drive, though, two nights ago, you see, that's the type of, of home run you see, Derek, on TV. And you're like, that's impressive. When you see it off the bat in the ballpark, you, you think to yourself, did I just see him hit that ball that hard? And the poor lady in catch who I guess went to try and get it, went between her hands and hit her flush in the jaw. She probably thought it was a plane. Like, why would anything come in, into that area of yeah, the ballpark? You would look up and see that baseball and think, there is no way that baseball's coming off a human being's bat. That was a shot. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're sitting out there in the catch area, while it'd be nice to see a ball, you don't see them very often. So I'm sure they, you, know, you weren't ready for it. But... I, that just shows, I mean, there are a few home runs you see that are hit that are genuinely breathtaking. That everyone, no one oohs or ahs, you just watch it. And that's one of them. And, and he is, he's a strong man. And we know we've seen some real good shots from him this year. So we spent the first part of the show talking about how that people compare the rebuilds of, let's say, the Astros or the Cubs. And well, it, it took a couple, two, three years of losing. And then uh, you had to hit on some trades and different things. But like the Cubs, for instance, they had a lineup of mostly journeymen and veterans in 2012. They had to go get the Rizzos and the Bryants. Where you guys start with Sano and you start with Buxton, and you've talked about that how this wasn't your traditional dumpster fire 100 loss team. My question for you is, how did you go about when you got when you were in Cleveland and that that's a great pitching organization and you're trying to bring those things here? Corey Kluber, for instance, was had a five ERA at AAA, and you make that trade, you buy low on Corey Kluber. Uh, Cody Allen was like a 23rd round draft pick or something. What did you see in them? And how can you replicate some of those hidden gem finds here in Minnesota? You know, I, I think you're speaking to how a pitching staff is built. And it's not always um, the way, you know, the cleanest way where you just see the top prospects. I think you need to find guys who have maybe some undervalued assets, you know, in the way um, maybe it's their makeup, the way they go about their work, the things our scouts can identify about guys who are going to continue to grow and develop. I, Corey's a great example of a kid who, you know, in Double A, as you mentioned, when we acquired him, you know, not quite at the high end of the prospect scale, you know, publicly anyway. And we felt like we identified some things in the way he went about his work, his pitch qualities that we could maybe help uh, enhance over time. And he put in a ton of work. A great example of that. Carlos Carrasco is a good example. Up and down a little bit, the beginning of his major league career as a starter. And, uh, found ways after he went to the bullpen for a period of time to adjust mm -hmm. and constantly plan and adapt and change. We need to do that with all of our, our pitchers. How do you go, go about, though, uh, having people out in the field to find it, those small things? Because the, the game itself, from your standpoint, is so competitive now. You've got so many really good scouts. You've got so many areas to examine. How do you get to that echelon of of doing what everybody's trying to do, which is find this guy who, who might have the intangibles and abilities, uh, but you say, I see it in this guy, so it's worth trading for? I think it's it, we've talked before about the blend of the art and science of this, and I think we have systems, whether it's using TrackMan information, PitchFX information, what, whatever we can use to maybe identify some of those unique characteristics, mm -hmm. but also then layering on the art part of this, which is our scouts, Getting to know the player, you know, in that minor league affiliate, talking to the strength coaches, finding out from the, you know, the broadcasters in that A-ball affiliate, how's this guy go about his work and otherwise. We're, we're trying to unearth every bit and piece of information that will help us make a decision on that player. 
Okay, I'm going to be very careful about how I word this question. But you're in first place today. It's May. It's not May 5th yet. Uh, it's been a pleasant surprise so far. I'm willing to bet that when you came in and interviewed with uh, Dave St. Peter and the Polats for this job, you have a plan. It's pro probably on a computer disc, not in a desk drawer. A computer disc? But, what, 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 or it's, it's probably on a computer, but it's not. My point being, my point being is <laughs> I'm sure you have a plan uh, for a vision for not just having pop-up feel-good seasons, but actually getting a ball club competitive for a lengthy period of time. So how much of that plan would would you abandon or slightly tweak or go away from dependent on the success of this year as opposed to saying let's say i've got a really good veteran pitcher who come the trade deadline i might be able to move for a couple really good young pitchers who in two or three years could help you win a world series championship how much do you plan on or would you go away from that and how much do you have something in your mind that really needs to remain crystal clear you know i think the you talk about the bulk of the plan being how we sustain long term and that that is ultimately the goal here we've talked a lot about that this offseason that's investing in scouting and development and some areas that maybe aren't at target field today so a great deal of my time on a day-to-day -day basis is talking more about planning for this draft and what we're doing with Sean Johnson and the scouts and how we're going to align our philosophies in the draft and what we're doing day-to-day -day in development. Now at the major league level, we've been very clear that I don't like to set limitations on teams ever. You know, you, you, there's a special element to what a culture can, can, the type of culture that can develop in a clubhouse and what that can lift a team to. We'll evaluate that you know, week by week you know, and, and month by month. And I think if we get to a point where we're in a competitive position and we feel we're, we're ready to do that, we're never going to take that for granted and find ways to add to this club. Uh, but we certainly want to be thoughtful about the long-term vision here, which is put ourselves in position to be a championship-caliber team for the long term. Another way to ask that question would have been, are you going to trade Irvin Santana or what's the deal? <laughs> and then just stare. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Irvin's a great example of somebody who, you know, when you look back at what he's done over the last, really, year now, I mean, 20-plus starts, this isn't just 2017 for Irvin Santana. This is something that, if you go back to really June, July of last year and on, He's been one of the best pitchers in baseball, and we he's I don't like to use the word reinvent, but I think as pitchers get older, they, they change maybe the way they go about it. And when he was a young pitcher, he was a stuff guy. You know, He could throw that slider. I was sitting behind the plate for his no-hitter in Cleveland a number of years ago when he was with Anaheim, mm -hmm. and it was slider, slider, and, and really good one. I think now it's not that the slider is not a good pitch for him. He's learned how to use it differently. And so Irvin's somebody that we know he leads our pitching staff now. He's a meaningful part of what we're doing moving forward. And so we're, we're happy to have him, I can tell you that. How do you know Derek Falvey is with us here, downtown Minneapolis, uh, Mackie and Judd. Jose Barrios made, made a, a few starts last year in the big leagues, didn't go well for him, and, uh, and he's dominating again for the most part in the box score in AAA. And then you get a Fernando Romero who's with Chattanooga right now, and, and he's maybe not a household name as far as prospects for Twins fans even, but Barrios was a couple years ago. How do you know when we just follow the box scores, if you're a casual fan, you say, oh, eight innings and nine strikeouts, and how do you know if a pitcher is ready to translate the success he's having in the minor leagues to, to major leagues? It's all about evaluating the process. You know, you can look at the outcomes and the results, certainly, and we, we love to see those outcomes. You know, Jose is continuing on a roll. We've got a number of other young pitchers who are starting to come into their own. Uh, but we want to make sure that we identify the specific goals that he has, the plan we set forth the day we broke camp, and really before, the, before we broke camp, in Fort Myers, and then every every start evaluate where he is relative to those goals. We want him to measure 
himself against the previous day's version of himself, mm -hmm. not against anybody else in baseball. And if we continue to make that progress, that's when we'll know we're in a position to bite down on him getting the big league. Sometimes it feels like Francisco Liriano had this, we've talked about this on the show, post-surgery Francisco Liriano still had 98th percentile stuff. You still throw 93 with movement. You still throw a slider that's 85 that wipes out most hitters. You have a changeup. But for whatever reason, he was insecure about his pitch repertoire sometimes where he'd give up loud contact, a home run, or a single to center field, and he'd think, okay, now i got to be even more perfect. Or more, and, and, and then he'd go 3 to one, three and 1 of the next hitter. Barrio strikes me a little bit just watching him last year, sort of similar in that he doesn't know how good his stuff is sometimes. You don't have to be super perfect on the corners. You can pretty much just throw your pitches, not all the time, but throw your pitches, don't walk a guy, let him get himself out once in a while, but he seems like a perfectionist when you watch him go about even the stuff he posts on social media. I'm running for nine hours like before a game, and he seems like a perfectionist, and that could be awesome for his career, but could also maybe hinder him. Am I right on that at all? Or I, You're talking about what a lot of young pitchers go through. I mean, we talked a little bit about Indians pitchers and, and Carlos Carrasco, someone who had that kind of elite stuff and at times probably had the same uh, approach to pitching. Got a little too fine, nibbled at times, didn't truly trust his stuff. He's, he has over time now and developed into the pitcher he is today. I don't think that's uncommon for a young pitcher. We need to, it's incumbent upon us now to reinforce the value of using his stuff on the plate and attacking. And he's, we're starting to see more of that now. So when, when it comes to Kyle, I, I think you've, you've got a lot, a lot of fans now saying, give up on Gibson, we're tired of this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what is the process there? Because my guess is if, if he continues to struggle, it, it won't end well for him. But that being said, my guess is that, that you came here and said, if nothing else, there, there's been a lot of time and money invested in this kid. Is this a process that takes into June, into July, a, a process with, with no potential end for 2016? How, how do you go about evaluating a guy to the point of where I guess at the end of the day you get to it's just not going to work. Well I think it, Paul's been very clear at that in the last couple of starts that we've set some goals for him and trying to continue to get him uh, not unlike the conversation we were just having about trust his stuff and use it because he can mm -hmm. and uh, we've shared with him some information as to why and how and we want to build a plan not just say you know, do something and hope that it plays out a very specific plan on how to do it so we want to support Kyle through that process but ultimately we have a responsibility to the team and we'll make decisions when we need to when we feel it's the right time. The patience with Buxton to to me, it is a great storyline. Uh, it would be great if he had come up and been fantastic and and was great at the plate. Uh, there was a period that appears to be passing out, Derek, where he was awful at, at the plate. But you watched him in center field and said he's saving so many runs, it's almost worth it. Take me through the organizational philosophy of a player like that where it is far from cut and dry to you're struggling, you're going back down to instead saying, you're struggling, but it's worth our time to get you fixed here because defensively you're just so darn good. Well, I think it's, you know, patience is a tricky word, right? And and it's something that we have to have, no question. And we understand when uh, maybe the fans are less patient about, you know, the performance on the field that given night. And I, I completely respect that. But it's important for us to think about the development of a plan for a player over the long term. And I think in Byron's case, one of the things that we talked a lot about was the process. How's he going about his work? Is he continuing to focus on what he needs to do defensively, offensively, day in and day out? That's not easy to do when you're a young player, you know, at his age in the major leagues and you're struggling the way he did coming out the gates. 
it's so important for Paul and his staff and for me and for Thad and everyone around Byron to make sure we're reinforcing that what we value is the work you're putting in every day in the cage with James Rousen and what you're doing on the field every day in your defensive work. That effort should never change. And if you do that, we're confident in your abilities. We know what you can be. Let's support you with a plan, a very specific plan on how we can get you on track offensively, continue to play the defense you're playing, you're contributing to our games, we will see the offense come, and I think we've been rewarded by that. Uh, a couple more minutes here with Derek Falvey, twin CBO. What Terry Francona raves about you. Now, I don't think he's going to come out and, and say, well, thank God that guy has gone from the organization, but we'll take his word for it that you guys had a great relationship and that, and that he loved the, the value you brought. How has the, 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 how has the relationship between front offices and field staffs evolved in the decade you've been in baseball? You know, I, it's a that's a great question because I, I thank think, you. I've yeah. been practicing it all day. <laughs> well, I, I think it has. I think it has in a lot of places, and it's all around culture. It's all around making sure that you know we're aligned day in and day out, and and the alignment between a front office's goals and day to day and long term plan with the coaching staff's goals and plan for that day. While they're not always perfectly in alignment, and the coaches, they want to win that game right then, right. that moment. And it's my job and Thad's job and our group's job to think a little bit more long term. Uh, but we need to communicate. And in order to communicate, you have to be around. You have to be present. You have to be a part of the conversation. And one thing we committed to players when we came in and to the coaching staff was we're going to be in the clubhouse. We're going to be visible. We're going to have conversations with you day to day. And sometimes you're not going to love what you what you hear. But you're always going to know that you're going to hear from us directly and you're going to hear honesty. And and that's important. And I think that's something I learned a lot from Tito. Is that awkward being in the clubhouse? I mean, because you're around guys, whether it's players or coaches, that you may have to fire at some point or, or trade or release or, or, or demote to the minor leagues. The realities of the business don't change, no question. And, and they all know that. Players know that. We know that. But ultimately, everyone wants to, any industry, and you want to be treated with respect and be told the truth. And and that's ultimately all we can offer. And like I said, sometimes that communication is tough. When we send a player out yep. you know, the night after he pitches or you know, has to be optioned down to the minor leagues, it's not an easy conversation. It's a difficult one. But we want to make sure they know that we're telling them exactly how we feel in that moment and what the next steps are. Uh, t- top draft pick could be pitching. How much does pitching keep you up nights based on this alone? The Tommy John thing now. See, I mean, we it's unbelievable how consistently now we are seeing guys. And, and it's not because you're a bad pitcher. It's not because you're a good pitcher. It just seems to be across the, the board. How much when you're evaluating what direction to go in, college pitcher, high school pitcher, um, how do you go about it now? I mean, do you just accept this ongoing process? Do you try and look at more science? Because it just seems like daily in the newspaper you're seeing a guy, you know, this guy, that guy, Tommy John, Lat this. It's It's gotten off the charts to me. Yeah, I, you know, I hate the term pitching depth. You know, when people say, oh, you have a ton of pitching depth, no such thing in my mind. I mean, you, you want to constantly be accumulating arms you know, behind guys because I'm thinking, well, I mentioned this in spring training. Well, what we're thinking about the 12 or 13 we break with, I'm always thinking about 18, 19, 20, who, because that's just the reality of a major league season. And so what we're doing with the draft or with trades or otherwise is you have to recognize that risk. And certainly it is, it is increasing you know, in our industry, the number of injuries and the, the challenges we're facing. So my view on it is continue to acquire as much as you possibly can with the recognition that you're going to have injuries along the way. We can prepare as best we can with our medical group and our training protocols and what we do in the minor leagues to help maybe alleviate some of that stress and burden. We're doing that now, but admittedly, some of those things just happen. It's part of the game. So we continue to add as much as we can. 
Uh, that's Derek Falvey, Twin CBO. Hey, have you gotten a chance to explore Minnesota at all in your in your few months, or actually like two months since coming up from uh... the the square mile outside of Target Field? <laughs> Pretty been, much it, right? Basically, where I've been. So it's, uh, but I'm looking forward. I am to the summer months here that are that are coming and the great weather. Yeah, actually, this weekend it should. I think it's going to be like 76 and sunny tomorrow, so we might actually get the first nice weather at Target Field. Excellent. Uh, thanks for coming over, man. Yeah, Thank you, Derek. Thanks for having me. Twin CBO. We'll come back. 